You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 30. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 30. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a fuzzy little big-eyed creature that repeats his own name as a verbal tick in a tiny little voice. It's Will. I'm a little stinker. (laughs) My name is Stinker. (laughs) (laughs) See, I was trying to think of how you would say your own name as a verbal tick. And I was thinking it'd be like, wheel, wheel. Oh, that's good. I was thinking he'd be repeated like, wheel, 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 wheel. It's like a bird. Yeah. Oh, it's more like a bird. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I was thinking of like, wheel, wheel. Um, anything, anything else? Any other news about animals? I think our big news is that we are consumed by animals lately. Our kitten is now... Full grown and strong, and I'm paying very close attention to her nutrition and serving sizes. And then on top of that, uh, we just got the game Animal Crossing finally, and <laughs> Rebecca is an Animal Crossing tycoon now. Well, you know, working on it. Yeah. I only have five villagers, but I don't <laughs> like how they're they're holding me back. I'm like, I, let me go get more, Tom Nook. What's your problem? You know. <laughs> I like Mo the cat. He's my favorite so far. I'm glad you I like, like that him. He's blue. My favorite is Cobb the pig. He's pretty fun. I like him because he's really into bodybuilding, which is perfect for my island because we called it Tough Island. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was we're a bunch of bros on an island. It's be yeah. Chopping wood, being fit, doing some pull ups. On Tough Island. And then we keep our wasp stings. When you get stung by a wasp, (laughs) you don't get to use medicine. You just have to go around with it. That's Tough Island. So, what are we talking about today? Well, on today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the cute archetype. I have four cuties. Rebecca has four cuties. It's a top eight. So... Let's answer the question. What is acute? I think first of all, can I can I also say we talked about Animal Crossing, but I want other people to know that I also got the Marvel Ultimate Alliance video game and Rebecca had me go down the roster of all the Marvel superheroes so she could say which ones are cute or not. That also happened. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't want to play somebody who's not cute. Yeah. I mean, Will said I should be Colossus. Yeah. <laughs> He is not cute, okay? Can we all agree? Well, I would define cute as, yeah, I see how it doesn't work. It's a <laughs> it's a childlike character. It could be any kind of creature, any gender, that triggers a nurturing instinct, and it's often the comic relief in a story. Okay. So and then and give us a little a little taste of the history of, of what we're working with in terms of cuteness here. Okay, I think I actually have some pretty clear uh, touchstones that I can get to really quickly. If we were going to start where it first started, the idea of cute as a concept as we think about it didn't even didn't formally exist until fairly recently. But in ancient history, people recognized it but didn't name it. Like in the Odyssey, they included a domestic dog for no reason. So this was a thing, even if people couldn't oh, name it. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was a reason they wanted it. They were fond of it. They just haven't really identified it as something they value and needed to name. Um, and then the way we think about it probably starts in the 1700s as an abbreviation of the word acute to mean shrewd or keen or clever. And then in the 1800s, we used that to describe a quick-witted woman, you know, like it's like it's like keen angle. Okay. Um, and then slowly, we started to use uh, the word cute to describe things in the same way, like small socks or a nice orderly study or the narrow and beautiful vasculature of old city streets or a French accent. 
<laughs> Those are all very cute. <laughs> okay, so this is actually kind of blowing my mind a little bit because it didn't even really occur to me that we didn't have like a word for it no. until relatively recently. Although you know, and there again, are new, and we'll get into there are new words for different flavors of cute that we'll mention. Okay, so so, and so it's my, more valuable to us now. I was gonna say okay, and I have theories about why it's more okay. valuable to us now because I did a little digging myself. But then also, it's just weird though because okay, from the dawn of time. We've held our infants and they've yeah, cooted us. Right. That is something. Yeah. That is cute. That is something. I guess they never thought to think about what underpins that or why it Maybe just not. is. Maybe not. It's just, just like, instinctive. I'm fond of this, right. this thing. Why ever so? I don't know. <laughs> okay. And so here's where I think this really catches us up to where we really get the idea of like cute as an aesthetic, especially uh, in the Western world. Um, I think this really happens with animation and especially the first Disney films around 1937 with Snow White and Pinocchio to start us off. Okay, so here's the thing, though, because I want to piggyback off of this. Okay. Okay, because I was trying to find good examples for us to use for, like, early cutes or whatever. And I noticed when I was looking at the Disney history, there was basically a turning point. And I think that turning point was World War II. Okay. I didn't expect to find this connection, but I did. Like... Pinocchio was right on the cusp, and uh-huh. Snow White was didn't have a cute character, right? I think that Disney got its first cute character as World War II was taking Like as off. a reaction to it? Yeah. I, yeah like, I, a, like a desire okay, for like yes. innocence and the babies being boomed? <laughs> yes, because like I swear, I swear to you, like I feel like there was something about World War II that ushered in our need for cuteness. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, there, there's something about this, the trauma on a global scale. And I was like, Rebecca, this is just too much of a half theory that you, like, and I know some people have kind of like uh-huh. made mention of this before, but I was like, well, how come there wasn't a cuteness boom after World War One? Because there was like a lot of cultural impact after World War One in, in, in terms of stories that we told. Like, I know that there was a big boom of spiritualism uh-huh. in the wake of World War One, And then in the 1918 uh, influenza epidemic, that also ushered in a huge cultural thing, like proto-zombie stories came uh-huh. out of that time. But like something about World War Two, and I guess it was just the escalation on a global scale of horrors and generational traumas. When we start to think about whether the true nature of man is evil or not or whatever, maybe you sort of really glom onto the cute, nurturing, good side of humanity or something. And, and maybe so, because because like for Disney, I'd say Dumbo was arguably the first cute character, uh-huh. right? And maybe you could say Pinocchio was. Those were all right as World War II was kicking off. But then 1942, after the U.S. was involved and it was like fully a well-cooked global conflict by that point, that's when we got Bambi, which had Thumper, who was definitely the first like cute, you know, he was there to be cute. And so my theory, okay, this is just, again, this is me sitting on the couch this morning formulating theories, is that global strife makes it harder for us to be able to look unflinchingly at at what we're experiencing. So we need stories that contextualize violence and struggle for us. And so it helps for us to have something cute in the story because it pulls us at this level that we can access even when we're traumatized. You know, you can look at a cute little thing and say, that's what we're fighting for. Or like, that's what we want to protect. Okay, I like that. You know what I mean? And so again... And and that makes sense that uh, they would have like baby-like features. And can can I mention here that... Uh, I found what I think was an old illustrator guide for Disney animators. Um, it looks like that style, and it was like written at that time. And I can share the link on our social media stuff. But they actually had uh, kind of a formula for how to draw a cute character at the time. Can I list some of the things? Yeah, let's let's hear it. So, so Disney, a big cute maker. Yeah, and keep Thumper in mind when I'm talking about okay. these two, okay? We so, think about him. So they say uh, everything's based on the proportions of a baby with expressions of shyness or coyness. The ears are small in relation to adult size in their heads. No neck. The head joins directly to the body. Large head, eyes space low on the head. <laughs> Necks are not cute. You hear that, Colossus? <laughs> and lar- uh, eyes are large and far apart. The nose and mouth are small. The arms are short and never skinny and tapered down into hands and fingers. And the tummy is bulged. 
with fat legs tapering into small feet and a sway back. See, that just sounds cute. Isn't when, that interesting? When you say that all together, that sounds You can really kind of think of like even like a Looney Tunes baby with like its finger on its lips or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, big-headed babies. Okay, so Disney definitely was the entity that I think we can agree crystallized the cute, the mm-hmm. cute character. Uh-huh. And then if we're going to talk about like, you know, what are some contemporary examples or some like very canonical, iconic Iconical, canonical. Yeah. What are we thinking about? General, yeah. Da, da, da. Like if th- those characters that we really go back to for like who's a who's a cute. We got Star Wars is lousy with them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just what I said earlier. Like we have a story about humanity's struggle, good and evil, and we need some cuteness in there. Oh, okay. Right, and so that's where we get like, uh, you could even argue Yoda. Yeah. First Yoda was a cute yeah. a bit. The Ewoks. Uh-huh. The Porg. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Grogu. Yeah, definitely. Right? That so makes Star sense. Wars loves their cutes. I yeah, mean, Chewbacca, I would say Jawas. Jawas, you know, yeah. maybe. You only, you're the only one who loves Jawas. I like with. them. I like them. Ooh, dee, dee. Yeah, I like I that. <laughs> one time we had a conversation where it was like, if I were a Star Wars character, who would I be? And Will said I would be a Jawa, which is nice. I thought they were cute. Because he thinks they're cute. You like cute. hoods and robes. <laughs> but I was like, that is not flattering. And then, you, like, and then you read. So let's see about Jawas. And the first thing it says, like, known for their repugnant smell. And I was like, <laughs> like oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, sounds about right. <laughs> but anyway, so, okay. Star Wars is the universe, I think, that gives us a lot of the cutes that we think so uh-huh. well loved uh-huh. these days. So th- those are our two big access points, I think, is Disney and, and then now Star Wars after that. Um, is there anything else uh, to, to contextualize? I, I just finally, before we head into the picks, I would like us very quickly to think about, just right off the top of your head, what's something you don't think is cute that we're supposed to think is cute? Minions? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Right? Okay. Just and very the, briefly, why? Mostly, is, I think it's the cultural reaction to oh, okay. them. You know what I mean? Because it's like humble, sort of like I guess, basic. and it's like, it's cute reduced. To, like, I like my cuteness to have like a little more, um, you, we'll, we'll see this in a moment. But They're the, trying too hard. It's a little sweaty. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like, it's a little like uh, bland. Uh-huh. It's like almost an orb. You know okay, what I mean? Okay. If you put a circle and two eyes on it, you'd be like, look how cute it is. You'd be right. like, okay, no, like it needs, it needs a little more ruggedness. Yeah. It's like a 70 smiley face sticker. Yeah. Like that's not cute. Okay. okay and I'm going to go with, I don't like cherubic things. Like I don't like the copper tone baby. I don't like orphan Annie, Shirley Temple. I don't like anything with Puschetti on its face either. <laughs> like just, but I do it, like Puschetti. Yeah. So I'm in, hungry. Anything like that, any sort of rosy cheeked sort of, no, just grosses me out. Like babies with too much features. Oh yeah, you know? got a ruddy cheeked baby. Yeah. Is, is upsetting. Yeah. Because you're like that baby has. Maybe there's something in your DNA that is like that baby has a fever. Bury it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> That's that's terrible. not Puschetti. Those are pustules. <laughs> That baby has the plague. Send it to the far corners of the most remote village. And maybe a nun will take pity on das it. Das vampir. <laughs> I like how we can get to vampires when we're talking about cute things. Well, with that in mind, and all the angelic babies uh, of the world <laughs> yeah, protesting. Angelic babies, I don't like that. Or angel babies, yes. Or the angel soft babies, yeah. the toilet paper yeah. babies. Not yeah, yeah, those. yeah. Okay, so those aren't on the list. But who is your first pick? Number eight. What? Huh? <laughs> My first pick is every child's favorite colorful animal. It's a popple! Yay! <laughs> I have to believe you and your sister had popples or wanted popples. Okay, so I did love popples. My birthday cake when I turned six was a popple cake. Okay. Which was rare and exciting. My mom brought it to my kindergarten class. Oh, how cute. And they did it with like icing pipes. You oh, know, I like, could see that. It uh-huh. wasn't a kit or anything. It was a pretty well-rendered popple. Didn't you do a... 
Oh, now that I remember, didn't you a popple costume for Halloween? Oh, yeah. That was Halloween 87. I was a popple. <laughs> okay. I didn't even own a popple, but I was like all about the popples. I was a popple. I was one of those plastic mask yeah, smock popples. Yeah, yeah garbage bag Yes, popple. I was. And I, then I had a book about the popples going to camp. Oh, okay. So I was into the popples. Okay. Okay. So if you don't know what popples are or never knew what they were... They are either rabbits or teddy bears with bright colored fur and a pouch that lets them turn into a ball so you can tuck them in and pop them out. Like, uh, you can make the transformer noise, but I guess it's a pop noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pop. <laughs> I guess. Lots of transforming happening with those toys. Can you kind of talk about just generally what these things look like, even the commercials or the aesthetic of them? Like, what what's its... So Jewish, this is, as you say sometimes. This is definitely an 80s bright colorful. Uh-huh. So, so bright colors. And the, I know there was lots of bouncing around. I'm yes. pretty sure that they could bounce around themselves in their ball form. Yes. Which is very cute. <laughs> and I, I know that they had like, con, like say, if you were a bright pink popple, then you would have like contrasting like ears uh-huh. that would come up like little contrasting bits on you that would be like a, a, a complimentary color, like yellow or orange, yeah. you know, like you'd have like two or three cute colors going on. Well, yeah, you, you nailed it. Cause I was going to say, I mean, is this a great example of the Lisa Frank effect happening? Yes. You're overwhelmed with all the sugary colors and stuff. Yeah. You can't, you can't think straight. They are bouncing all over the screen into your <laughs> yes, heart. Yes, they are. Yes, it's just chaos. It's just cute chaos. Popples are pals that pop out of pockets. They're funny, they're new, because they turn inside out. And that's what Popples are all about. Your child will love them. And I thought this was a great example to bring up because I loved them even as a boy when I was a kid. But it's funny that so many kids did because uh, Popples are not any one thing we recognize as cute it's like a science experiment to see if we can deconstruct all the elements of cute and then mash them together in one creature, which sounds like it shouldn't work, but it did. It did. So we have like softness, balls, <laughs> colors, rabbit, teddy bear, heart shapes, and then we just flipped the electricity switch and made them. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that, we shouldn't have. I know. It seems just too, it seems like so designed by committee, it should never have worked, but it did. <laughs> and I love them so much that one year, well, when I was young enough that, you know, you're sort of learning about the true meaning of Christmas, I had the idea that I was going to wrap up my favorite one that I have in a little garbage bag and put it under the tree for my sister. And I thought it was going to be such a beautiful gift because I loved it so much and she was going to love it. And then as the day got closer and closer, I got more and more upset. And I told mom, I was like, I don't think I can do it. I got to have that popple back. And she was like, just go get it. She's so young. She won't know. Oh, yeah. She would it's have been fine. a baby. Yes. You would have been young, too. Yes. I mean, if 87 was like my year of popple madness and I was in <laughs> kindergarten, so you were like four. Yes. You were a bitty baby. Yes. This was 86. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you, I was, so well, you well they tiny. came out in 86. So, yes. Uh, so, I was allowed to go um, recover my popple. Uh, so I, think it, I think it's fair. See, these days, I feel like parents would be like, what gift do you want to buy for your sister? And then they just buy it for her. <laughs> like, that's, how, you're, that's that. how your sister does with her child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they don't they don't make them have to, like, sweat and sacrifice. It's like, which of your toys would you like to give up, <laughs> no, I, That was just a choice. That was just a clever <laughs> idea I had. Uh, also, oh, you thought you were going to be real yeah, sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, man, I'm so generous. Also, such a thing about um, me. They had that... Uh, TV show and that summer my older batter cousin came to visit for a week and I put on the popples tape and he was very rude about the popples and he was making fun of me about the popples being for babies and then he also taught me that summer the word loogie like you hock a loogie and uh my parents were not impressed and did not think he was cute yeah, that's not cute, okay? <laughs> and you should continue loving the popples. That's like a really common theme I've I've read about with uh, guys our age, like at, at some point being discouraged from liking things that were even, quote, gender neutral, uh-huh. like the Care Bears. You're not allowed to love the yeah, Care Bears. Yeah, we like the Care Bears and the Wuzzles and all that stuff. Like, I like stuffed animals a lot. Yeah, you can't like cute stuff. We don't ever want you to be a father or anything and protect your young you know, we just want you to spit on everybody. Pick you out movies. of nunchucks. <laughs> pick, you out, pick you out some. 
<laughs> pick you out of your ninja weapons and then go whoop everybody's yeah, and that's exactly. like what that's the next 35 years of your life <laughs> and then you'll die from a nunchuck accident <laughs> but anyway next time you see a kid watching some sugary garbage commercial on tv for some garbage toy just remember that we had our own there's always one for every generation and you liked popples or something like it and it was cute and cute is cute and cute is cute. Can I just give you a product idea, Dunkin' Donuts? Popple-themed donut holes. Oh, good idea. Rainbow-colored for a throwback. That's a great idea. I want to eat that. Number seven. Ah, you will suffer greatly. There is no escape. Your pain is nearing an end. I have you. All right, my pick goes out of the sugary and into the slithery, kind of. Oh. Well, ish. Number seven, I give you Pack Guar from oh. Elder Scrolls 3, colon, Morrowind. All right, the year is 2002. You're on an island called Vardenthel, home of the Dark Elves. Or Dunmer. Not to be confused with the Dark Elves from D&D, but absolutely inspired from them because that's what all of Elder Scrolls is. Continuing. This is an interesting continent. The terrain is a combination of hardened and acidic foyadas of the mountains and a magical ash storm at the center of the continent with gross zombies lurching at you from the ashes. Boy, that was a good game. (laughs) A lot of weird local flora and fauna. But as you're walking in the grasslands, you can't help but notice a big soft lizard with a big round head like a manatee. And it's just chilling, eating some grass. You have just found a guar. So they're a peach color. They're like a herbivore. And uh, they're just part of the overall richness of the game. So these are an animal that on Vardenfell become domesticated. So you see them like in the context of a lot of NPC homes, like you'll see them in their little pens. Uh-huh. So they're like um, so beasts of burden. We, yeah. So they're kind of like a mule, uh-huh. but it looks like a big soft lizard with a big round peach head that you can pet. They're, uh, yeah, they definitely look like something that you want to rest your hand on their nose, like a, like a dinosaur or something. Yeah, like a, it's like a, a big dinosaur. Yeah. Okay. And so what I really love about them in this game, so first of all, you know that I love it. It's the most tedious game ever made, and it looks like absolute butts. So if you're like, I'm going to go play Morrowind, don't do it without downloading every mod that possibly exists in terms of It's like playing packs. a book. I mean, it's really... I mean, yeah, you can just don't even look at the pictures. They're not even, they're not even anything. It's not going to give you anywhere. You're just going to have to read the text to get through the game. Don't look at anything for visual <laughs> cues. But um, what I really love about this creature, the pack guar, is that when I went back and looked, there are only two in the whole game, pack guars. Uh-huh. One of them is belongs to an NPC, and you do an escort men- mission to get them to the gates of Vivek. And I think the other one, I don't even remember, like, but in either case, it's just like... Uh, a villager has one uh-huh. and you see the the guar has like a little thing hitched to him around his head and he's got like little rolled up fabric bolts on his back and he's just carrying them and it's like the cutest thing in the <laughs> world and one of them's name is Raleigh. That's a good name. And what I love about this game is they, they make this whole world and they don't even do the tacky thing which is let you have one. Because, of course, you see that pet guar and you're dying for it. You're like, oh, my God, I want that. I want one of those. Look at his big, soft eyes. He can follow me. We can be friends. But they're not going to do that. Because in the Elder Scrolls, before it got real tacky, it was just part of the world. It was just part of the fabric and the landscape of the world. And you just had to enjoy the world and enjoy knowing that some people had pet guars. <laughs> And that was such a thing that they eventually came out with a line of plush toys, and they did make a pet guar, and I do own one, mm-hmm. and his name is Coconut. That is a good thing. Yeah, he's cute. He's a, he's a color of coconuts, like a mottled brownish tan sort yes, of thing. Yes, and he does have a little pack on him, and I love Coconut dearly, and I love pet guar. And um, <laughs> they still have them in The Elder Scrolls Online if you do want to go play that, if you've not picked it up yet. 
Um, I still don't think you can have one, but you can ha- do lots of side quests where there are guars. No, that's not true. You don't get a pet guar, but you get a little pony guar who's okay. like a mini version who bounces around like your pet. So actually, Coconut came with a code for one, but I think it's one of the default pets nowadays. So if you want to experience guar magic, you can do it without playing a game from 2002. <laughs> and then also, I did go back and look at the, like, out-of-the-box vanilla Morrowind images of the guar. Not as cute as I remember. Oh. Well, it's funny, though, because, like, um, the modding community was such a big part of that game that, like, the retextured guar that fans made was very, very, very cute. But anyway, like if you're playing Morrowind on Xbox original in 2004, as I did, you're not seeing any of that. Your name shall be Polygon. (laughs) They're pretty blocky, (laughs) but they're blocky and they're cute. (laughs) Number six. Look what I have for you. Come on, little squirrely. Take the nice peanut. Ooh, now I have a cute little squirrely really do pet and love and charge and squeeze. I'll take you home and lock you in a nice little cage and never, never, ever let you out except to pet you and love you and hug you and squeeze you all up. Won't that be fun? She's the name that must not be uttered within Acme Acres. From the Tiny Toons, it's Elmira Fudd. Yay! (laughs) I don't know if this is true, but I feel like Elmira went under the radar or was forgotten about by a lot of people. What what was her relation to Elmer Fudd? Was she supposed to be like his niece or grandniece? I don't know about the actual relation, but yes, all the Tiny Toons had a mentor or teacher analog, and hers was Elmer Fudd, and that wasn't ever or rarely explicitly stated. Yeah, I was I was going to say, like, I think I literally just made the connection but right she, now. But she looks like him, and it's sort of like a hunting animal sort of thing. Yeah, that's really cute. Yeah, it was a cute idea, I that think. That was a cute idea. Probably a lot of Tiny Toon characters are kind of falling out of memory a little bit, but I think, you know, TV critics and writer people know this was just a really well-written show. It was just really good. And if you just, you know, spot check a couple of clips, you can see why it was so popular. This was the animated series that ran from 1990 to 1992 about young cartoon characters who have the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes characters as mentors and teachers. And Elmira, like we said, was inspired by Elmer Fudd and also that Abominable Snowman episode of uh, Looney Tunes. Remember that where the, the he grabs up uh, Bugs Bunny with one hand and says, I'm going to love you and squeeze you and keep you forever. Oh. Who I think was, who I've read was based on Lenny from Mice and Men. Oh, okay. So I thought, I thought that was There's a whole bunch of just like yeah. cultural references in here. <laughs> and so her premise was kind of like that, where she loved animals way too much, and she's loving on them too hard, and it makes her terrifying. And she's got a little bow with a skull in the middle, just so it's sort of kids can kind of pick up instantly that she's a bad guy. <laughs> she cute, but she bad. Yeah. Uh, and yes, you could count her as technically cute, so she belongs on the list. But I wanted to bring her up because I think she gets at this weird thing that I think we all recognize, but we've only really started to identify. Just like we were talking about how we only recently had the word cute, now we're starting to get different flavors of cuteness. Um, and so I'm talking about this thing where something is so cute that it makes you feel aggressive. And <laughs> yes. I think you know what I'm talking about. Like, think about a baby and, you know, you hear people say like, oh, I just want to pinch its cheeks or, or a puppy say, oh, I want to eat you up. You know, it's that is what whatever drives that. And I thought this was really interesting. I found a few recent researchers doing work on this. And there was a NPR story I found where a psychologist was talking about it. And they call it cute aggression. And uh, this psychologist said, when people feel this way, it's with no desire to cause harm. And then she went on to explain that the thoughts appear to be an involuntary response to being overwhelmed by positive emotion. So it's like your brain has to send this to be like, okay, calm down. We're going to mitigate this with the opposite feeling. But then we just sort of fold it into all part of the same thing. It's just a weird sort of phenomenon. Yeah, cuteness overload. Yeah. Basically. I remember really thinking about this for the first time earnestly, not long after you and I met where I noticed you and your sister, especially your sister would do this thing where like when she sees a kitten, she's being funny and she's laughing. She says, they just make me so mad. 
And, you know, and <laughs> yeah. she's, she's being funny. I was like, oh, I know what you're saying, but why are you saying that? I've no, never heard someone I so mean, explicitly and pointedly do that. So I remember, because that was like a, a, a particularly funny one. Like we were driving around. Uh, it was like the first time you visited Knoxville with yeah. me, which is in the early Audis. Yeah. We've known each other a while. And um, I remember there was a pair of kittens sitting on a porch somewhere. And, and my sister was in the car with us. And I remember her looking at those kittens and going, oh, look at them. I just want to pick them up and <laughs> smash them together like symbols. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And it was because it was just perfect because they were just sitting they there. so like, cute. They were like matching kittens on and a porch. And they were like play fighting on the porch. I remember that. And that is that was like the perfect thing to say about that. And I understood. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. I knew why it was funny. And I was I was really trying to explain it to myself. And, you know, I'm not even quite sure the researchers got it exactly right because I'm not sure if it's like your brain counteracting with like aggressive negative thoughts. I think it's almost, I think it too, it's almost like you have like a play pretend idea. Almost if you could like role play and play with the baby, like, Ooh, I'm going to be your little enemy. Or we're going to play fight. You know what I mean? Like there's something like that there. I don't know. Maybe It's not just the, the putting the negativity on it. I just don't quite think that's quite right. Well, yeah. Cause it's, I, cause I don't, I don't think that there's any negativity implied for me, it's always been like, so you know, if, if there was like real life magic and it and it came out of your hands, sometimes if you were really like worked up, it would come out stronger than you wanted to. So, oh, so it's just an intensity. Yes, yeah, so it's just like so you like you 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 zap at the lamp and instead of turning it on, it blows the bulb. Yeah. Here it's like you want to kiss that little baby head and you're like, ooh, it's so cute, like, mm, but you just want to. <laughs> <laughs> you just you don't have enough channels of energy for all of the right. all of the cuteness that's just coming out of your board. You just can't even stand it. <laughs> so this is exactly what they're playing with with Elmira, uh, even if we didn't have a term for it yet or really thought about it in the '90s. And I think this was so funny at the time, not because it's funny to be mean to animals, obviously, but because it's exactly how toddlers and young children are with pets, which made her the perfect villain. For the tiny oh, tunes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Elmira loves animals, and she means well, but it's very hard to explain to toddlers and kids like this how to read signs and boundaries for animals. We all know about telling the baby, you know, leave the cat alone, you know, don't pick her up right now. And, like, there's this one episode where she gets a baby bat, and she's so excited, and she looks in the bat house, and she's like, hey, bat! <laughs> and like that's exactly how kids act she's just so excited she can't help it oh. um and this is exactly how animals would be viewing little overexcited kids and it's just a great idea for the character and probably now enough things have changed and we know to be more careful about portraying animal abuse and stuff that this probably would work really well for an adult animation show so we probably wouldn't introduce this in the same way to kids but what a great idea that really captured this aggressive, cute thing, I think. Yeah, I do think that they would choose to illustrate the gags a little differently. But, I, yeah, it's and, still And she's funny. clearly a villain, you know. Right. Well, so, right, yeah. Well, and, um, that, and it would work for an adult show because we would understand that this yeah, is absurd. I was going to say, like, I, I do feel with kid shows, now we're, we're more careful about behavior that might be modeled yeah, by your show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, which wasn't necessarily the case when we were younger, but um, well, they and I think they even started to smell that later because I saw some clips where like the animals she would get would be something like she got a pet snake, you know, because it's funnier and less weird and right. harder to model, you know, but she's playing with a snake. And then later she gets Furball, the kitten, and the kitten actually loves her and stays with her, which I thought was pretty sweet. <laughs> so I'll end with an example. Um, actually, uh, Eastern cultures are a lot more on to this notion and. Uh, there's a Filipino word for this uh, cute, aggressive thing, and it's called gigil, and it refers to the gritting of teeth and the urge to pinch or squeeze something that is unbearably cute, which is exactly this. That is exactly that, and that's the perfect word for it, too. <laughs> Come back! No cute little animal wants to be my pet! <sighs> Number five! You know, perhaps there's something there that wasn't there before. What? There may be something there that wasn't there before. What's there, Mama? I'll tell you when you're old. All right, this is a surprising pick for me, but it's from the exact same era. 
But I think after I've made my case, we will all agree that we must admire Chip Potts from Disney's 1991 Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I don't think anybody is remembering this until you're saying it. That's okay. Funny. So I will. So I, I want you. I invite you all to go watch a clip. All right. So the rundown on Disney's Beauty and the Beast is that a bookish young woman agrees to be imprisoned in an enchanted castle and in so doing falls in love with her cursed captor. But everything else in the castle is also enchanted. There has been a curse placed on mm -hmm. the castle by an enchantress, okay? And when it happened, not only was the owner transformed into a beast, but... All of the household staff and everyone who lived on the castle grounds was also enchanted. And they were transformed into stuff and things. All right. <laughs> relevant and, to their role? Yes, relevant to their <laughs> role. So, of course, you all remember uh, Angela Lansbury as Miss Potts, like the, mm -hmm. the, the singing tea hey, kettle. as old as time. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what you remember. But I feel like... Murder! <laughs> yeah, yes, they're like, no, Angela, that's not that's not your lines. I just say your lines this time. I think we should do more appreciation for her son Chip. Okay, okay. so um, when his mother was transformed into the teapot, Chip was likewise transformed into a teacup. That's so rude of the enchantress to like do this to a child. Well, okay, we'll get into that. Okay, right. so at the end of the film, once Belle and the Beast fall in love, Chip is magically restored to his human form. Okay. So everybody goes back to being human at the end. Okay. All right. So here's the thing about Chip. He's a little teacup. Yeah. Okay. His golden handle is his little nose, and he has a little patterned base that he bounces around on very adorably. <laughs> and when he bounces, he tilts back and forth, and it's like the <laughs> cutest freaking thing. Okay? As Angela Lansbury move. She, she almost, just sort of sloughs on the ground. Well, yeah, she kind of like glides like, with her. She, <laughs> she kind like of a glides slug. like a slug. It is it's much like a slug. But of course, she's old but, and wise. Okay, but, but Chip totters. He does. He bounces, and it's adorable. His locomotion is very cute, and he has a little baby voice, which is just uh -huh. ridiculous. Does he have like a chip tooth? As I remember. Yes, that's the most heartbreaking detail of all of this, <laughs> is that as a teacup, he is chipped and cracked on his rim. And then when he's a, a person, it manifests as a chip tooth, okay? okay. So, also, uh, it, it, it bears mentioning that in the course of the story, Chip is very much a little baby, but he plays an integral role in Belle's escape and winning over oh. like in the plot of everything he's very brave even okay. though he's very fearful and like i gotta tell you that every thing about this little teacup breaks my heart <laughs> <laughs> so first of all he's already cursed being the member of an underclass because a seven-year-old should not be laboring in the castle kitchen with his yeah. mother as he was pre-curse, all right? So that's already a cursed existence, all right? Okay, and then he has to be a teacup on top of that. Poor little chip, right? And then on top of that, he's broken. He's a broken teacup. <laughs> but in spite of all of that, he's still having fun because children can endure a lot, okay? He doesn't know any different. He than doesn't his know Downton any Abbey different. Life. And that's like the and, and I just feel like in addition to the enchantress's curse, we really need to free chip from the curse of feudalism yeah. that plagues him and his life. Why is this precious little baby having to be a <laughs> teacup in a castle anyway? Why do we have child labor? This is very wrong. Like, it's funny, but it's also terribly sad if you let yourself think about and it. And Angel Lansbury's fault. It's a bad mother. Yeah, well, why, why was he helping you in the kitchen, Miss Potts? You know? He could have been out doing some kid stuff. So anyway, if you really go back go back and appreciate the cuteness of Chip Potts, he is very adorable. Like the character is too cute, but it also just makes me cry. I'm just I can't even stand it. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> you like busted things. Sometimes, I do. Sometimes we have to keep like really messed up decorations or purchase them because he's like got one eye drawn with a sharpie and his arms hanging off. And yes. 
I will do that. Yeah. I, I Somebody's got to save them because it's a brave little toaster situation. Yes. The reason I adopted my dog is because he was the most busted dog that was ever at the shelter. And like five families tried to go look at him and rejected him <laughs> because he was afraid of everything, had three kinds of worms, was not house trained, and could not go outside without flattening against the ground. Nobody wanted that baby, but oh, I did. Oh, but the most the pathetic thing that like clinched for us when I called about the dog is like, you know, is he bite or anything? It's like, no, he's just, you know, he's. He's had it rough, but he really likes playing with his ball. I was like, okay, there's hope. He likes playing with his ball. That's too sad. That was it's, the saddest so, thing of all time. And, so, and he's he's great now. Sure. <laughs> he can, is great. You can hear him snoring right he's now. He's my baby. But anyway, yes, little, little chip pots. is like the, It brings out the same feeling in me, which is just like, you poor little broken thing. Like, I can't stand mm-hmm. it. I'm going to cry thinking about <laughs> this poor little child with his little chip tooth. <laughs> Number four. Octillery two. And what else? Bika Bika. Oh yeah, a Zoomeril. Bika Bika. Bika Bika. Diving with the Sharpedo. Okay, you teach me, and I'll teach you about Pikachu from the Pokemon anime series. Yay. I think Pokemon first aired in the States around 1998, which meant that you and I were too old to watch it earnestly. Correct. <laughs> but everybody knows Pikachu. Did you know what Pikachu was or Pokemon was in high school? Were people collecting cards and stuff at your high school? So, no. My introduction to it was I had little cousins. Uh-huh. They were all around the right age. And I remember even at my high school graduation them bringing their Pokemon cards so they okay. wouldn't be bored. So that's that's like that that's was my introduction to it. it was my little cousins. Okay, and we had like band room kids who played all the card games. Oh yeah, and stuff. no, I'm I'm sure there were tons, but yeah, I I didn't see it before then. For me, this was one of those shows that I could tell had something interesting going on. Like I like the idea of uh, monster battles and the character designs and the Team Rocket stuff looked pretty funny. But I was embarrassed to watch it. Uh, and same thing with Power Rangers. I think they are, they're sort of the sort of same thing. Some, something I can tell why it was successful, but I just it wasn't my, wasn't my time. <laughs> like you a man now? Take your nunchucks. <laughs> That's Get right. You That's ain't, right. No, ain't no Pikachu where you going, son? <laughs> Get your draft card. Here you go. You got to have this for financial aid. Put up your Pokemon aid. card. Pick up your draft card. <laughs> Pick up the nunchucks. Don't watch the nunchucks. <laughs> So, but Pikachu's more than that now because it's like Pokemon's such a franchise thing. So Pikachu is like the mascot for the franchise and the lead character in the show Pokemon. But he first appeared, and I didn't really put this together. And I never really knew what people were talking about. He first appeared in the 1996 Pokemon video games for the Game Boy, which predated the show, which is where the property came from. I guess I didn't realize that either. I knew, I knew, I always heard people talking about the games and I just, I didn't realize that. Um, but I think almost everybody would recognize Pikachu. So let's talk about his deal because I bet there's stuff we do know and that you don't know. So I would like <laughs> you to describe him. So he's Yaller. Yeah, he is. He's Yaller. He's got sort of like a round gumdrop body, oh. but with some cute angles in his ears, right? Yeah. Like it's like they're kind of, they're kind of like floppy like a bunny, but they're pointy also. Yeah. He's already following the Disney guide thing we talked about really well. And, and and Pikachu's deal is he likes to say his own name and versions mm-hmm. of it, and that's all he says. Yeah, Pika, is, am Pikachu. I gendering him correctly? Yes, is, is Pika is male. He's, he's they've got a female one now um, of this uh, monster. Okay, but uh, he the Pikachu, the original Pikachu, is uh, is male. Wikipedia described him as like a yellow mouse with a lightning bolt tail. The cr- a mouse? Okay. Okay, I kind of wasn't quite on board with that, too. He's definitely, like, mammal-like. The creator said he has cheeks like a squirrel, which I think gets close is closer. Okay. Um, he has lightning powers, and he's bonded to his trainer, Ash Ketchum, and he won't go inside a Pokeball. He's just wild, and he's like his pet and his loyal That's dog. That's right. He's just like me. I wouldn't go in no Pokeball <laughs> either, Pikachu. <laughs> you and me the same. He's a wild man. This was also interesting. The name Pikachu is a combination of two Japanese automatopoeia. Uh, Pika Pika, 
which is a sparking sound. Okay. And choo-choo, which is a mouse squeak. That's really cute, and I like knowing that. <laughs> he was the lead character in the cartoon because they wanted children to identify the bright primary colors, and uh, they wanted moms to be reminded of a beloved family pet. And so uh, that seemed like a wise decision. Uh, and here's why I picked him. We talked about these different flavors of cute, and Japanese culture, I think we have to agree, has cornered the market on cute. And you can you could picture the fashion and other characters like this, like Hello Kitty. Um, they have a name for this whole aesthetic called kawaii. In Japanese, that means lovable, cute, or adorable. And it's this culture of cuteness. Um, things that are charming, shy, vulnerable, childlike, and it describes characters, but even aesthetic things like handwriting, um, which is which was a big deal. Um, so there's actually a lot of good information about where this came from. And the main places, I think, are from a fad in the 70s where Japanese teenage girls started writing left to right with um, thin mechanical pencils um, and doodling between the letters and stuff. And I think teachers and everybody hated it. It was like, you know, teenage stuff. And they called it kitten writing. And so that it's got this aesthetic going with the teenage culture. And then Kawaii really took off in the 80s because of an illustrator named, I think that's how you pronounce it, Rune Naito, who made drawings of... Uh, large-headed, baby-faced girls in cartoon animals for Japanese girls' magazines in the 50s through the 70s that really created the culture by the 80s. And then companies started to copy that aesthetic with all their merchandise, and most notably Sanrio and Hello Kitty. Okay, there we go, yeah. To great success. Which is, that was the one when we were kids. I mean, Hello Kitty. That's where Kitty, it exploded. They had a... Um, I, I, there was like a shop at the mall that was nothing oh. but Hello Kitty stuff. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say the mall because there's something about the 80s culture where it really took off. And in the 80s, there started to be Japanese celebrities who started to incorporate that aesthetic into their look. And then people started to, people started to imitate that. And then it was just totally ingrained in the culture. And I'm trying to think of the analog here. And it's almost like thinking about its origin from the 50s to the 70s and then taking off in the 80s. It's almost like... Um, traditional if traditional rock and roll had maintained an aesthetic that we kept up with or something you know what i mean well that i guess it sort of yeah i, I guess sort it of sort of did that. like by the time the 80s you had mall culture that was sort of like uh, uh sugary or punk or something you know And I don't have too much more to add there, but, um, you know, it's not just teens that um, really g get into the culture in Japan. You know, Pikachu is on the side of the all Nippon Airways airplanes in Japan. It's just baked into the culture. Um, so it's, it's just kind of kind of interesting that it took hold that, that way. That is also very cute. It is cute. We, we need more mascots that we all generally enjoy. Yeah, we need more of a mascot culture here. We love them in baseball. Yeah, yeah. We we just need like some good national mascots. I like mascots. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, we we have them for our sports teams, but those aren't fun. And Pikachu is one of the last or very few recent, I think, major mascots that just became a huge cultural touchstone. And it happened in the late '90s. And I can't really think of anything else showing up like that that we just assume has always and will always be around. Yeah, it's really it's sad. It's too early to say for minions. Yeah, but I think that they're on the down, you know, like they, they yeah. were really big, especially among a particular generation, which is funny because they were decontextualized from their original appearance and then recontextualized as memes for old people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or for people who were technically unsavvy. I don't know why that was the thing, but they were hugely popular. But I do feel like they're sort of declining in popularity now. I think steered the right way. Grogu had the potential to do that. Yeah, and then we all, just, I think we just have merchandise overload. Yeah. And then everybody just, yeah. He needed video games that were very specific. You had to honor the medium they appeared in for it to really be a franchise thing, I think. I think Grogu came out and everybody was like, well, that's just not fair. Like, <laughs> right, no, no, right. That's yeah. just not, no, that's just cheating. You can't just make that. That's too cute. <laughs> Number three. Did it, 
Uncle Scooby, you got the star creature right where we want him. Ruff, ruff, and double. Ruff. For your consideration, a mostly failed cute that was nonetheless a cute that was nonetheless a complicated cute. Mm -hmm. And that is Scrappy Doo. Oh. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I already have the feelings. <laughs> Okay, okay. I watched all that. Okay, so you did, like, and I know I grew up watching Scooby-Doo as well because they were well into syndication mm -hmm. by the time we were kids. So um, Scrappy-Doo was introduced by Hanna-Barbera in 1979 to be the nephew of Scooby-Doo and to join the team and pep it up. And it really was as simple as that. When the Simpsons did their famous Poochie episode, I think they were directly mimicking or parod parodying what happened with Scrappy Doo because oh. it all lines up when you when you look at it. He was created to save the show's ratings, which by 1979 had begun to. <laughs> they sink. had they had Don Knotts on there. What more do they need? <laughs> what more did children want? Angela Lansbury. Don't you want the to dead sloth across the screen? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want the deadpan stylings of Don Knotts and his exactly. subtle, sophisticated humor? Exactly. The ratings had begun to sink to the point of cancellation threats from ABC. And the funny thing was that this ploy actually worked. They brought on Scrappy-Doo, and it kind of rebooted the series in the early 80s with Scrappy-Doo as part of the gang. Proving that people are dumb. <laughs> yes. Although it is worth mentioning that they did have to tone him down a bit in the beginning because the network censors found him too spunky and, like, too bellicose. Because he was always just ready to fight, okay? Oh, funny. All right. So... Scrappy-Doo was a lighter brown version of Scooby-Doo, who was a Great Dane. But also, Scrappy-Doo was uh, scaled differently. He had stubby little arms and legs, like uh -huh. we talked about, and the cuteness of the character design. And his movement was very, very feisty, I guess yeah. you could say. So um, he definitely fit the cute guidelines. And when you actually just see the little design of Scrappy-Doo, his little body is cute. Yeah, He does look cute. Now, what's hilarious about Scrappy-Doo is that he had, like, a New York tough guy accent, which was funny. Yeah, he sounded like a man. He, he, did he sounded like a man. At one point, the voice actor... Come on, Uncle Scooby! Like, for, for Scooby and Scrappy were the same guy at one point. Uh. I think it had a, they had a different guy before that. But what's really funny is that um, everyone remembers him not for his beloved catchphrase of puppy power, mm -hmm. but... For the fact that they blame him for ruining Scooby-Doo, <laughs> which is funny because like on its face, it was a popular move and the, the show went on for several years and then has kept getting, you know, spun in different iterations. Oh, yeah. The the I have something similar to that, too. Interesting. Interesting. So the, the dislike may have been there in some kids from the beginning, but they it was never really articulated until that generation of kids grew up. But I saw it explained this way, um, which they also did on The Simpsons. Uh -huh. uh, Scrappy-Doo ruined the dynamics of the group because the funny thing about the group was the fear that Scooby and Scrappy and um, Shaggy have. Yeah. You know, so there was always the running gag about when there was something scary, Scooby would like start shivering yeah. and he'd jump into Shaggy's arms and Shaggy would be scared too and they'd be scared together. It's like Scooby, it's the snowman. Exactly. And what happened was when they put Scrappy-Doo in there, suddenly this is going on and it's a classic bit and we all love it. But then here comes, it's like, why let me at him. Boo -doo 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 -doo. Oh, you know God. what I mean? It just ruins it. Yeah. And he, so he really, really changed the dynamic of the whole Yeah, of that the sounds so tacky game. when you say it like that. When you say it like that, it that's why That's sense. why I cannot stand when you already have an appointment to meet some friends. It's like, you're going to love my friend. You're going to love my friend, Samantha. It's like, no, I'm not. I don't know Samantha. I know exactly the dynamics and electricity of these four people in a room. Yes. And you put Samantha in there, and it gets diluted or changed in a way that I didn't agree to. What? That's right. Scrappy-Doo. Same is, for Sam. Is not the, a part of the group yet. That's right. You can't just do that. And so people have, like, historically hated on him so much that um, they actually gave him a heel turn in the 2002 live-action film to Whoa. wink at that. So he was, like, he became the villain, which is kind of funny. That's I, a great I, idea. It was a great idea, and I've never watched that movie, because why would I? Because I was busy in 2002 and uh, not watching Scooby-Doo. 
But I just think it's really funny that he was a cute that everybody regrets. Oh, yeah. But you can't help but think, though, he was still kind of cute. Literally on paper, he worked, but in in practice, he did not. Everywhere else, not fans of Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> Gee, Uncle Scooby, will you teach me how to do that? <laughs> Number two. Not bad for a spud, eh, Peter? Especially after all he's been through to prove himself to us. And you. Yeah, the little guy's worth his weight in gold. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Brass, maybe, or tin, maybe paper. Or for that matter... You wouldn't dare. He loves hot dogs, he's disgusting, and loyal to the end... It's Slimer from the real Ghostbusters. Yay. I think it is very hard to explain how big of a deal Ghostbusters was and how well Slimer was known. Like, it wasn't just a popular movie and TV show for a while. It was definitely a cultural thing. And although he's not like something that a lot of kids think about now, he definitely was a a big deal, a really big deal. And also, I feel like Slimer sort of lived his own life in our imaginations. Like, I remember seeing Slimer in the first Ghostbusters film years after I had Me been too. familiar with him as a little cute cartoon character. Yes. And being kind of like, not grossed out, but just a little bit like, oh, like, I don't like, I don't care for that. <laughs> yes. The Slimer, I think in our minds, is this adorable. The one from the cartoon. Yeah, the, the rabbling and and I want I'll talk about him uh, specifically, but I, I I'll go ahead and t- mention what you brought up is the difference between the way he was portrayed in the first Ghostbusters movie and the way he was portrayed in the cartoon that came out after the first movie made them sort of have to reconceive of that character completely because he was such a hit from the cartoon. Uh, like you said in the first one, he was this really um, gross, funny. Uh, slime blob monster that was the first like big monster they called it the sedgwick hotel in the movie (coughs) sir what you had there was what we refer to as a focused non-terminal repeating phantasm or a class five full roaming vapor real nasty one too Mm -hmm. and then in the cartoon he was their lovable sidekick and they loved him so much that from what i have read in the second movie that came out after the cartoon they toyed with sort of trying to lean into that more. And so that's why they have that great scene where Rick Moranis needs to get to the uh, museum and then the bus pulls up and it's Slimer driving the bus. And he's like, get in. Right. Yeah. So I, cause you don't have that same feeling about Ghostbusters too. Like you don't, you don't feel grossed out by that Slimer. Yes. And okay. This is such a tangent. And I'll mention this every time. But can I just say, yes, Ghostbusters 1 was so cool and so dry and did such great things. But Ghostbusters 2. Two is a better one. It was such a tight, pro, well-done script. And everything with Janosch and the long-winded painting in the museum is gold. Such a great script. I love Ghostbusters 2. I will will fight anybody on that. We're aligned here. I've heard all of this. Like I said, he really took off in the cartoon. I think the thing we remember the most about Slimer is the great uh, voice acting. Uh, and he um, sort of like Pikachu where he has like this nonsense jabber, but you know exactly what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. It's really cute. It is really cute. You can understand that? You grow up watching Lassie movies, you learn, okay? And this was Frank Welker who did his voice. He's the same guy who did Megatron and Garfield and Nibbler from Futurama and tons of other stuff. Um, I think the other thing that makes Slimer so cute and good is that he is just like a dog because he has a heart of gold, but he's always testing your patience with mischief and he's making a mess and he's kind of gross and you can't imagine life without him. He's like a child and completely innocent. Oh, that is sweet. <laughs> Isn't that right? He's just like our dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm picking Slimer because he's um, the ghost version of a dog that we love for the same reasons we love our dogs. <laughs> oh, mentions. 
the Starcraft probe from the Starcraft video games. Okay. I like all the mineral gathering units from those video games what? because they have their little job and they go out and collect the little things and bring them back to you. There's something cute about something that has a little job. What is that? No, that is cute. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I yeah, like it, a Roomba is cute. Yeah, I think it's because they're so absorbed in their role, they don't know that their purpose is to delight us, like that they are being observed and and loved because they're just like doing their little job. They're like, they don't know that they're an aquarium piece for us. <laughs> they don't know, but that's sad. <laughs> I'm feeling all existential about this now. Things, I don't... things like, like I remember one time recently you saw a garbage truck that had one of those little vacuum hoses that come off the back of it that sucks it up. And you're like, oh, I'd love to see something like that in a little Halloween town or something. But something like that, that little unit doing its little job is very cute. <laughs> yes, leaf pickup is adorable. <laughs> I love it. I would also say Grizzlor from He Man, the little the toy. These are real puffy, like a little bear. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the shy guy from Mario Two. Okay, those are cute. He looks like a little bread that waddles. You're all weird. No, <laughs> yeah, no, that, I agree. So to that, I would add um, another failed cute that we hated, but we got to mention Looky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would also add Moogles from Final Fantasy. They could have been a pick, but just, you know, weren't. Yeah, they like little bear snowmen with bat wings. With their cute little eyes that are always pleased. Very adorable. Uh, Gizmo, of course, from Gremlins. Oh, great. He was a big cute, but then also he was kind of like a main character. You know what I mean? So it kind of is not quite the same thing. Yeah. And then I would put the adipose from Doctor Who, the little the little anthropomorphized fat globules that are all bouncing oh, around. Yeah. And being like, yeah. Uh, so those are my honorable cutes. Okay. Well, what is your top cutie of all time? Number one. Well, we got to go with the classic, and that's why number one is the Tribble. Oh, I know I love that. Of course. Of course, it always comes down to Star Trek here, does it not? But the 1967 episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, Uh they're a cautionary tale about how our tendency to think things are cute can get us in trouble. Mm -hmm. 1,771,561. That's assuming one Tribble... Multiplying with an average litter of 10, producing a new generation every 12 hours over a period of three days. And that's assuming that they got here three days ago. And allowing for the amount of grain consumed and the volume of the storage compartment. Kirk, you should have known. You are responsible for turning the development project into a total disaster. Mr. Barris. And I am through being intimidated, Kirk. So this is from a wiki, okay? According to Star Trek canon, Tribbles are native to the planet Iota Geminorium Four. Citation needed. Mm-hmm. While they appear as small bundles of fur with no other visible features, they do produce cooing and squeaking noises. Their coloring ranges from white and gray to black, as well as speckled brown, yellow, and orange. And then, of co- uh, according to uh, Dr. McCoy's dialogue, their only purpose in life is to eat and reproduce, and they're very good at it. Uh-huh. And then also, um, they're born pregnant. Which oh. is like pound puppies in, in, in Star Trek. <laughs> That's funny. So in the episode, of course, they're these they're they're on board, and everybody thinks they're cute, and they want to have them as little pets. But then they're of course reproducing madly out of control. Yeah, I remember McCoy really likes them, and I remember a hero really likes them. And the whole purpose of the character design, from what I understand, was like it needed to be cute, and then it needed to be cheap to produce and so that's why the the prop designer got the idea to, to just make them basically round little balls of fur and i think we can all agree from our popples example that a little round ball of fur yeah is pretty cute yeah they are yeah they're like the ball form of the popple yeah that's definitely true yeah so they, these are like the og popples you know and they come in like different uh fur combinations like a dog or a cat yeah yeah and they are just sort of like different fur types so they're all fun to pet but for different reasons they are, uh, you know. i've got a i've got a little tribble uh for my desk at work that i have i like to you know you pet it when you're thinking it's pretty yes nice. and they're very fun to pet so then i really don't have anything else to say about that i'm not going to like tie this to our sentiments 
after World War II, or you know, you know what I mean. Like, there's there's no big deep cultural reason for tribbles. They were just an early, very important, cute that were also reminding us not to get too overwhelmed by how cute something is because they might ruin your whole starship. It is a human characteristic to love little animals, especially if they're attractive in some way. Doctor, I am well aware of human characteristics. I am frequently inundated by them, but I have trained myself to put up with practically anything. Spock, I don't know too much about these little tribbles yet, but there is one thing that I have discovered. What is that, Doctor? I like them. And with that, I believe that's it for this this week's list, which I think was a good one. I think so, too. Um, I learned more about the flavors of cute. Um, and I was thinking more about what I think is cute. And I think it's all the characters that have no, they've learned no pretense from the world. Like, they are themselves to a fault, which is like the thing where they, like, have their own little job or they're going to be just like Slimer. You can't teach them anything. Yeah. I guess because they're like kids or something. I don't know. Yeah. Cute's cute's gonna cute yeah <laughs> and fuzzy things i like i like fuzzy things well if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions email rumors at the wizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode yeah in fact we were just talking about this uh you should uh dm us or private messages on uh twitter instagram or facebook if you want to be best friends on animal crossing yes or or on, or on the switch in general we'll, we'll give you our friend code and yes we'll, but we'll... animal crossing yes oh, <laughs> <laughs> rebecca wants some animal crossing friends she's gonna steal your cherries no i'm really not i i i just enjoy it <laughs> So, you, like I said, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or you can visit the Wizard's Night shirt to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes there's no resemblance to what you know when your own deeds feel hollow.